Hey everybody, and welcome to the Vulnerable Entrepreneurs, coming at you from the great city of Worcester, Massachusetts. I'm Sean Riley. And I'm Common Thrath. And today, like always, we're having a no bullshit conversation about the entrepreneurial way of life. Hey Sean, excited to kind of be back here. Um, I don't know where you are for those folks that can see Sean or not. I know for those listening, they have no idea, but you look like you're on uh, a lonely, got kicked to the curb on a bench somewhere. Where are you? (laughs) <laughs> I'm, either, I'm either running my business or I'm just feeding pigeons on a park bench somewhere. It doesn't matter. You know, when we get this COVID thing going on, this is what you get. Everything's, everything's two dimensional. You never know where you're going to end up. So yeah, that's what I'm doing today. You're always giving. You feeding the pigeons. You're always giving. Right, man. Pigeons got nothing on me. <laughs> hey, listen, let me ask you a question. Do you operate or do you, do you run your business now? based on your experience, you run it differently than you would have say 20 years ago, 10 years ago. Oh yeah. I mean, I, I talk to friends who talk, ask me about the business and how it's changed. And then if I, if I have the opportunity to save an entrepreneur, I'm always like, do this. You know, I'm in this cohort with these other agency owners around the country. And whenever I see someone that was at a stage five years ago, I like do all this stuff. Now, hopefully this will save you years and, and money. So yeah, completely would have done things a lot different. You know, I think in, in everything, right? With sports or business or life in general, you always want to be able to tap into someone that's ahead of you in time. Someone that has more experience, not more experience, but different experience has gone through the pains and perjuries mm-hmm. that we have when you're starting out. And frankly, I read this study a couple of years ago. I think the average age of an entrepreneur is something around 43, 45. It's a lot older than I thought it was for sure. Well, I totally would have thought it had been younger. I feel like there's a lot of younger, yeah. like right out of the gate, you know, I'm going to be an entrepreneur. So it's interesting. Yeah. It's interesting. Cause if I, when I was in my twenties, I never even remotely thought I'd run my own business. I mean, not even on the radar, it, not even something I was interested in. So I, I think it's definitely an experience. Are, are affecting the average because your age. <laughs> I am a little older, old. but I would, I would argue a little wiser, you know, well, I got to pull you up a little bit. I got to drag your sorry ass, you know, along. That's what I got to do. Hey, so listen, so I have a good friend as our guest today. Um, I met him a couple years ago at a, uh, uh, yet another personal development thing that we went, we went through, we didn't go through at the same time, but we've, we've grown into a, a good friendship. We have, we've done some business together and continue to, to do so. Um, Bob Gallo is the CEO of Rhino Holdings and a serial entrepreneur. And really, uh, we talk about going wide. It goes wide a lot. Businesses are very different, um, different, you know, startups been around for a while. Um, so I'd like to welcome my friend Bob Gallo here today to the Vulnerable Entrepreneurs. Welcome, welcome. Bob. Thank you, guys. Good to be here. Another one is getting ready to go down, Com. That's our mantra, right? If we're going down, we're taking as many with us as we can. So here we go. <laughs> <laughs> our little eyes will sink it together. Should I go out and sit on a, a, a park bench, Sean? If you can. Yeah. Okay. Absolutely. If you have to, you got to do what you got to do, man. That's what it's all about. I want to make you feel comfortable. I'm always comfortable. Are you kidding me? You know, <laughs> I don't get uncomfortable. <laughs> but thanks for joining us today. You know, we always say that, that um, you, can, you can certainly make money and, and lose money and buy things. But one thing you can never get back is your time. So we really appreciate you being here with us. 
today and talking a little bit about what Kam and I were just talking about is experience. You know, you're, you're in a better, I think you're a better manager, a better CEO and a much better entrepreneur doing it later. It doesn't mean older, but it means with more experience under your belt. And that's one of the things we'd like to talk to you about today is that, that experience and that how are you different in running a business today versus how you would have been 20 years ago? What's that growth? And, and do you utilize your experience? Do you rely on it? Or is it brand new growth every day? And you're like, wow, I didn't even know I could do that. And, and also too, do you still get that kind of what I call that juvenile excitement, that excitement as you would have been younger to, you know, that almost invincibility we think we have when you're younger to be successful. So kind of all kind of, you know, once again, goes into the pot to make the soup. And, and some days I rely a lot on my experience and some days I, I rely on my already out of the gate. I think you asked them five, four questions. <laughs> exactly. Which means I get to answer. Well, I like, to, I like to pile on, you know, can I get my own? Question? Exactly. Cause we won't remember. <laughs> exactly. It's a test, Bob. <laughs> yeah. So where would you like me? Where would you like me to start? Because because I, I do understand your your questions because they're all very related. I think from the beginning, I think start with yeah. let's start about this. What what gave you the drive, the confidence, the um, I would even argue in my case the naivete to think you could be a successful entrepreneur? Like you got to start when yeah. your mind says, "Yeah, I want to do this. Let's do it." Yeah, I don't think you ever are sure you're going to be successful when you start a business. And if you are assured in your mind that you're gonna be successful, I think you're fooling yourself and that could be dangerous. So, Agreed. you know, the paranoia that you have that's built into your brain and your genes and your heart and everything else as an entrepreneur serves you, right? And you have to try to dial that back, you know, when you wanna to go to sleep at night. Uh, and that becomes, I think, something you learn over time. but. You know, I think to some extent, uh, people are, you, you can, when I share stories about how, how, how did you get started with guys, and I'm sure you two guys have had this same conversation, you know, when you've bellied up to the bar, and it's, we had paper routes, we cut lawns, we yeah, did all exactly. those things, right? And yeah. we, we never talked about that specifically, but, you know, I had three paper routes in my neighborhood. Cause as one guy got older, I, I got his route, you know? And so market share, baby. <laughs> that's right. You did stuff like that. Uh, almost it, it was natural. It was, you just followed your gut. And so, and I think that's where it begins. And I think that's what drives you no matter what your age. Do you think that you, I find this a lot too, and this is true of myself. Do you think that you set out to be an entrepreneur or to your point, you just, you just did it. Like I used to sell vegetables. So my grandfather that lived next door to me growing up, had a huge garden and we would sell vegetables and he would talk to me about pricing and here's how you make change and blah, blah, blah. I, I never would look back at that and say, that's when I decided to be an entrepreneur. I, I don't think it, I didn't think about it. I think a lot of entrepreneurs almost overthink it. Yeah. Uh, I mean, that's actually a really good question. And when I was a kid, I didn't really think much about it. When I was in college, I was working in the summers for an uncle who had a landscaping business. So I'd come home in the summer, I'd work and pay me whatever it was, you know, an hour. And, uh, uh, and then after I did that for a couple of years, I then decided, I think I should do this on my own. 
you know, I'll, I'll just start doing jobs. So we created flyers and we went and yeah. we competed. We didn't compete with them really, but we started on our own. And uh, when I got to see how much more money I could get for the same amount of time I spent working, I was like, that's exciting. You know, when you start to get a, that bug where you're like, well, I just have to figure out how to price these jobs and I have to keep my costs low and I have to do this and that. Exactly. You almost learn instinctively the variables that you need to, uh, to do to, to, to make more money, you know, and you can call it a business at that point, but you wouldn't even characterize it as a business. You're like, this is just another way for me, a variation of what I was doing before to make more money. So you would argue that you pretty much had that inside of you. It just given the opportunity or even the environment, it manifested itself. But I mean, I always argue we are absolutely entrepreneurs are wired in a different way. And I'm not saying better or worse. I'm just saying a different way. And we can't, I mean, I worked for big companies for almost half of my career and I can't even fathom going back to that. But I never said, oh, I'm going to strive to be an entrepreneur. It's just this innate personality trait that we have. Would you argue that that's the case with you as well? Um, yeah, I, I think so. I think so. I mean, I often think, not often, but every once in a while I think, well, what if I went the big corporate route? And then I, I mean, I, I felt like I would, I'd accelerate up the corporate ladder and I would, uh, I'd get promoted and maybe I'd be a CEO of a big company one day. You know, like, but there's so much of the, you have to be a lot more diplomatic in that corporate structure. I'm guessing. Yeah. <laughs> to get yeah. There, right. Yeah. But I think you also learn as an entrepreneur, when you own your own company, you're like, you can be as big a, an asshole as you want. Are we allowed to swear in here? Oh yeah. All right. Absolutely. So it's so all, all big, authentic, Bob. <laughs> all right. So you can be as big an asshole in your company if, as you want. And then, but I think you have to realize is that there's a price to pay. And then you start to learn things like, well, if I'm having a, I wake up in the morning, I come into my company because I own it. I can act any way I want. And I treat people with disrespect. You can do that. And people will take it and whatever. I said, but then you have to, then you start to learn the lesson of, well, what is it? What do I want this culture to be? So if you want to work for a big company, the culture is defined and you got to navigate your way through it. But when it's your own company, then you get your first lesson of culture and how do I want to treat my employees and how do I want people to feel when they walk into the building and they pull up to the parking lot? Do I want them to be excited while they're driving to work or do I want them to have to dread it and then take that out on, on your customers and all that. So I think that's also a part of your nature, maybe how you were brought up, how you treat your family or how your parents treated you and that kind of thing. But you know, it's, I, I wouldn't, I guess the, you know, the freedom that you have, if you're responsible with that freedom is, is, is a drug. <laughs> it's powerful too, right? Cause you, absolutely. Um, and to, to layer on top of that, right, Bob, like in your, in your earlier years as an entrepreneur, you're saying you had the taste and then you, you figure it out. There, there are certain things that might've been natural to you. What were other things that were not natural to you in the beginning that just like, you just kept falling your face on? It, when I, when I actually started my companies, my first yep. companies. Yeah. Um, well, I mean, you know, there's, you, there's, so, there's so much of what, you know, you don't know what you don't know, you know? And so, and so, you know, one of my philosophies is, is there only three things that an entrepreneur needs to worry about your revenue, your expenses and your liabilities and everything else they, it falls underneath those categories. And so the thing that you can't be schooled on all the time, the liabilities, <laughs> so I would, I've messed up so many times. And, and one of my other philosophies is you, you're going to make mistakes. Just don't make any big ones. 
right? Make a whole bunch of little ones because that, that speeds up your learning curve. Um, so yeah, I mean, you know, very CDL drivers in our first company that, that didn't have CDL licenses. <laughs> you know, when we find out like three months later, like looking through the file, I call the guy up like, do you have a CDL? And the guy's like, no. I'm like, come back. <laughs> Bring the truck back now. <laughs> you know, like just crazy oversights of that nature, which, uh, you know, we didn't have anything that was tremendously uh, detrimental to us. But uh, yeah. Do you think your fire and passion, you, you know, you kind of have a, a great position because not only do you have your own companies, but you do a fair amount of investing and working with other entrepreneurs. Do you still get that as excited as you were as a younger entrepreneur? And, and if so, is it different? You know, is it still the same level of passion, but, you know, a smarter level and you get more excited about where you see the future a little bit clearer? I mean, what, do you, what are your thoughts on that? Um, that's a, I, that's like a, a really good question. I, you know, the companies that I've invested in, I found the more money I had, the less due diligence I did. Cause I'm like, ah, this is only X dollars. You know, what does it matter? And then you get lazy with your money a little bit. So I've lived those lessons and every one of them lost money. And, and, uh, you know, I, I learned a hard lesson that way in that, uh, I think I'm every business I've had, I've had partners and, uh, and people said to me, why, why do you always have partners? I go, one, I believe in synergy. And, and, you know, and the other is it's more fun. It's more fun. You know, your celebrations are more yeah. fun. When you have issues, you, 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 you put your heads together and you come out of these things. So, but as far as investing in, in, in companies, uh, even when I've had kind of quasi hands-on, it's just not the same. I've not figured that formula out and, um, candidly and, uh, uh, you know, I like it when I'm building it and, uh, and at least overseeing it on a regular basis, even if I'm not there every day. What's interesting is I bet that's changed a little bit because I bet younger and less experienced, you would maybe dive into the idea more and the investment more, but now you want to run it because you're passionate about what the entrepreneur is doing, but you want to jump into it, not because of the idea so much as because you know that you can provide value and, and certainly return right to that business. Um, which, you know, for me, that's one of the things like I'm very passionate about starting my own businesses, but I'm also passionate about other businesses that we work with that are starting because of the experience that we can bring to that entrepreneur and to hopefully get them to be successful at all. But if they do get successful to get successful quicker, yeah, and, and and with your, and we've talked about this and your philosophy on when you guys invest money in a company that you're going to be more hands-on, like the examples I gave you, it was like somebody, you should throw some money in this company. I'd read a little bit of the prospectus, throw some money in it, but there was competent management and all that, but I didn't do real due diligence on it. It was more of a, I was a passive investor and it intended from the start, but your formula where you're lending intentionally that expertise that you have to kind of, you know, you kind of put a little bit of guardrails around the younger entrepreneur so they don't make mistakes that you've made in the past. And you're able to sprinkle some magic dust on it once in a while that uh, the light bulbs connect quicker and they accelerate growth faster. So I, I know that's your formula and I agree a thousand percent. That's, 
that's what I've really kind of, that's come out of my lessons, uh, you know, the hard way. Now, let me ask you now in your, with your level of experience, would you invest in another company where you read half the prospectus, which is about, you know, 25% <laughs> more than, than I read? I mean, has it changed you to the point where you wouldn't go back to that? I mean, you know, yeah. not putting you on the spot, but absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. No question about it. Listen, I believe things happen for a reason. I believe, you know, life is happening for you. And if these things happen, it's all messed up. I was like, now I just like, all right, what lesson do I need to take away from this fuck up that I just did? Or the fact that I'm in this mess because I, I knew back then I was a little busy. Yeah, let me just, I'll cross this, uh, you know, I'll cross this T, but I won't bother with that. Those eyes will be fine. And that's not my nature. But there was times even when I look back and I didn't do that, I'm like, how the hell did I let that go? And, oh, yeah. and other yep. people I see and I meet are able to be like, yeah, I just run my company. And you know? I'm like, well, what are, what's your, you know, what are your key drivers? And you know, how do you calculate? Like, ah, if there's money in the account at the end of the month, we're doing great. I'm like, oh, my God. I'm like, I'm like I've yeah. never been able to get away with that kind of stuff. And you know, so God bless all of those people that can do that. Um, well, how so much of, of your experience, you know, part of my experience, and I think Compton does this too, you weed out the shit that you either were told or thought was most important when you were starting out. And I will go back to the easiest example, which is the business plan. Like, oh, you got, first thing you got to do is write a business plan. I'm on my fifth company. I haven't written one yet. And maybe someday I'll get to it. But the business plan to me is a napkin, a piece of paper. It's just an understanding of what we're trying to do. Yeah. And a little context on on top of that too, Bob, like I got my MBA, you know, like got to, got to do all the stuff, like right? the business plan and all the, like, and it's one thing to go to school and, and learn about business. And it's a whole nother thing to live it right. As an entrepreneur, you know, some of the times it's a book, yeah, you throw it out the window um, yeah. because it's, 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 you put the rubber has to meet the road. So yeah, to, to, to Sean's point, I didn't have a business plan. I was trying, I spent so much time working on it, but it wasn't even accurate, not even close. So, but I think it, it's still important to have a framework. I think it's still important to have something. So you're not just going blind to have direction, but you gotta be prepared to transition and shift. You know, so like, so what are things were, you know, that, that you ran into, Bob? Yeah, well, I think as far as business plan goes, I only did one, it was my first company and we needed to get an SBA loan. So they required that we did one, right? And it sucked. So, but since as I've gone on and looked at, I've looked at so many deals that I elected not to do, right? And, um, and you know, you can go into a meeting and people are pitching and they're like, this is great. You get all sexed up over the thing and you're like, and everybody like runs out of the room, like, you know, John Belushi in Animal House. And then nobody follows them. And then like, you know, like, I was like, okay, they're all excited. They just left the room and I'm sitting here and I'm like, now who's going to actually do this or how is this actually going to succeed? Right. So it all comes down to, so, so I, I kind of have a general way I go about approaching that, that I boiled it down systematically to, to make it easier. And so across all my businesses, I had the Fisher price mentality. So it's like, and anybody who's ever worked for me will know, they'll be like Fisher price it. And I go, like, well, what does that mean? It means, Name it, label it, chart it, graph it, color code it. Anything that you can do to simplify whatever the hell it is you're talking about, 
or whatever it is that you need other people to do, do it. Because as an entrepreneur, my goal has always been to eliminate all my daily operational responsibilities and only be strategic and then free up my time again and go do something else. And unless I make whatever it is transferable to somebody else, not, hey, do this, and then you hand them a pile of shit, but actually develop a process, a system. I'm big on technology. If I can, if I can, you know, like, like, and Sean will laugh because I, 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 you know, I think, you know, I use Excel as a means to, to, to make things Fisher Price, you know? So, so it's a process, it's a procedure, it's a tool like Excel or something basic. And then all of that. So I want, I want to have process and technology before I want to have people. But as you add people, then you want to make sure that they can take tasks, do them every day, and they actually get they accomplish something at the end of the day. They're able to look back and say, you know what? That was a hard day or whatever. And they go, but, but I made progress and I feel happy. And if you do that with people consistently over time, they become fulfilled. And so that whole basic philosophy of how I do that, I applied to looking at deals. And so I just basically said, okay, we can have all that conversation, all the hoopla, and then let me ask you a question. If this works as successfully as you painted this picture, how much money are we going to make? At the greatest level of success, how much money are we going to make? Because if it's not enough money, we can end the conversation there because why would we bother to do all the work? Because no matter how much work you think it's going to take, it's going to take four times as much as you absolutely believe in your mind to get it to where it needs to be. And be four times as expensive. <laughs> right. Hopefully not, but usually. Calm, calm. I got to tell you, if you haven't seen one of Bob's um, spreadsheets, I mean, e just epic. Bob's my hero. <laughs> I thought I was pretty good. No, I'm pretty much riding in the back seat on that one. These are, yeah, these are epic. Get to learn. Uh, so yeah. Well, Looking forward to share that share that spreadsheet with me one day. One of expected to be really colorful, like Fisher Price. Um, I, they are <laughs> a little bit of a segue from like that, that whole mentality of Fisher Price. And I don't know when that started for you, Bob, but if you could share with us like that vulnerable moment you had, where I think you know if you potentially could have lost the business, did you have that Fisher Price mentality then, or did it come out after that? Like. Can you share us a, 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 a very scarable vulnerable moment of one of your, you know, businesses? Yeah, um, I can I can give you one, and it and it probably is a combination of all the things we've been talking about at this point, like in in one. Um, so uh, my first company was uh, after my financial consulting days was a was a was a shredding company, and we were doing really well, and then. I got an opportunity to invest and in, you know, become a partner, but invest. So I was going to be a founding partner of the, an entity that was going to acquire a golf resort. And, uh, it had, um, you know, full 18 holes of golf course, 35,000 clubhouse, pub, restaurant, banquet facilities, 64 condo villas. It was a whole thing going on and it was losing like a million bucks a year. And, there were this, this super team of eight guys that came together and there was real estate expertise and engineering and finance and an attorney and, and then me, which, you know, uh, kind of covers a more of a broad spectrum of things. So anyway, we, 
we got, so I trusted, my point is I've trusted with my own money and my time and commitment and my guarantees to, um, to do this deal. And um, so we acquired it and got it master plan approved for a thousand home sites around the golf course and everything was going great. And then the finance guys couldn't deliver the financing. And then they took hard money and then it got expensive and they blew through the money that was raised from the investors. And I was supposed to have money set aside for the, to turn the golf course operations around. And then that was gone. And then had to get more money. And it was, so I had just sold when the shit hit the fan, I had just sold my first company and I cashed out and I'm sitting here looking at my reward and this liability that I was like, Holy shit. Like, I'm supposed to be celebrating because I've made more money than I've ever dreamed about making. And I'm looking at this liability that I didn't even create about to like wash it all out. So it was uh, a crazy, crazy time, but it, it, it forced us to really, it forced me to, that was probably one of the biggest metamorphoses I've had as an entrepreneur. That moment when you just had that comparison, like, do you remember that day? Like, can you, like, what, what, was, oh, yeah. <laughs> what was happening? <laughs> uh, I remember, I remember there are probably six different times of events that occurred in that dramatic event. So I know exactly where I was standing <laughs> when, and what I was, and who I was screaming at <laughs> when that, when a thing occurred. But yeah, I mean, it, it um, you know, there was, uh, I, it was, I was standing on the back porch of the golf resort, looking out over this beautiful first hole and lake and fountain. And my, the partner who was handling finances said, yeah, out of, you know, the $7 million that had been raised, it was being used for different things. You know, to, nothing was uh, absconded with, it was just, it was mismanaged and bad estimates and whatever. He's like, yeah, we're, we're, we're running really tight on money. Well, how much do we have? He's like 70 grand. And I'm like, wow. Oh my God. <laughs> so that's where it began. Oh. And, and a lot of people have maybe not in similar situations, but, but they got there different ways, right? Sitting on like, holy crap, what the fuck are we going to do right now? Right? So what do you do? What, what was your mindset? What do you do? How did you break through that? Yeah. Well, uh, you know, it was in disbelief, but we ended up with a big meeting, got everybody together, had the whole thing out. There was, it was craziness, but I ended up taking over. They wanted me to run the whole thing and figure a way out. So I basically pulled like the key guys that I knew I could trust. And I didn't even know some of the guys originally. So anyway, this is, this is, this is a made for movie TV uh, series. So I would, I'll just keep cut to the chase on it, but we worked our way out. We ended up actually, and just to give you some timing, this, we purchased this thing in July, 2006. So we were running this thing through 2007. So you, you wow. guys know what happened in 2008. We're slamming into 2008. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. So, so this thing is, you know, it's a, it's a 20 some million dollar project, uh, like real money on the table that was being spent and borrowed. And um, so anyway, so we, um, we thought we were going to develop it. We went through this whole thing and we ended up by the grace of God, uh, we sold it in December of 2007 to a group out of Portugal for a very nice profit. Got everybody their money back, everybody made money. And I sat at my computer and watched the money hit my account 
and I just lost it because I was like, I cannot believe that we pulled this thing off. I mean, it was wow. Like like, some people don't have that fortunate outcome, but that's amazing. What what was your takeaway from that, Bob? I mean, I, 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 you know, like, cause I know that, you know, you've, you're learning from a lot of things like the evolution of yourself. So what was the takeaway? Well, you know, it's one of those things like you're, while you're in it, you're like, uh, you know, you just want to get out and they're like, I'll never do this again or whatever. And listen, again, everything happens for a reason, right? I, I've got a, some lifelong brothers out of that, having got through the experience together. I learned some incredible things about finance and creativity and having a set of balls when you uh, <laughs> don't think you have them and smiling for your wife and that is going to be fine. You know, <laughs> and you're like, Absolutely. I'm not really sure if it's going to be fine. <laughs> if I wake up tomorrow, I don't know how the day is going to go. Yeah. 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 So um, it was, you know, uh, I wouldn't trade it now that, now because I know the way it turned out. <laughs> I wouldn't trade the experience for anything because it really was extraordinary. Um, but uh, yeah, it was a lesson in doing things the right way and, and never giving up. Like you have to, I, I consulted somebody in the midst of it and, and, and this guy was a big, big real estate guy. He had lots of money. He could have rescued us. We were looking for a loan and he said, you know, sometimes uh, you just have to bankrupt deals and, and, and then it's on for, for the next. And I'm like, I'm like, I'm like, I remember I was standing getting in the Christmas tree <laughs> and he's telling me this and I'm like, I can't talk to this guy anymore because that's not an option for me. <laughs> I was like, I can't believe you just said that. I go home, I'm like, Merry Christmas, everybody. You know, let's decorate the tree. And I want to jump out the window. <laughs> oh my God. The, the right. mental, what Sean and I talk about all the time, like the mental burden. And sometimes you're, you're distracted, like wherever you are, you could be sitting at dinner and your mind's complete somewhere else. I mean, I, I can't imagine the, the noise that's happening the whole time, 24 seven while you're going through this and you're screaming, yeah, screaming and, at you. Yeah, exactly. That's a, that's a good way to say that, that like the noise going on in your head when you have a smile on your face and just, yeah, you're right. That's a good way to say it. <laughs> that's incredible. Now in, in what are some of the trends as, as you look across some of the portfolio of projects you either invested in or, or been, you know, hired by as an advisor, do you see any trends or any weaknesses or, or, you know, typicalities with some of the entrepreneurs now? You know, I think probably the biggest thing for me, cause I'm a numbers guy and, and listen, I'm, I'm really kind of, I, I love sales. I mean, I love having conversations. I like talking about deals, but, but, you know, but I was a, I started out as a financial consultant. I've always liked numbers. So, so in my whole Fisher price process, I've gotten, as you pointed out, Sean, I have these different spreadsheets that I'll use, but I do them just so I can, I, I don't, I'm, I don't think I'm that smart. So when I get into rooms with guys, I assume everybody's super much smarter than they. And so I like to cheat and I like to, if I could, whatever the topic is, I'll like, I'll like do a little, you know, evaluation. I'll be like, okay, generally speaking, if, uh, if they're saying this in revenue and this expense assumptions or whatever, I'm like, okay. And then I'll be like, this adds up and this doesn't add up for me, whatever that, whatever that might, that might be. 
But um, what was your question again? Because I lost all oh, the trends. Yeah. So what I see yeah. with most of these deals is people overlook the numbers and or they'll do a yeah. real cursory. And then like you were talking about before, they'll under, under, underestimate expenses or they'll overestimate revenue. And they're like, listen, let's talk about one thing. And I got this expression from a, 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 a mentor of mine many years ago. He goes, look, at the end of the day, it's about asses and seats. How are you going to get the asses in the seats? That's, that's and, exactly right. And it, right. and it applies to every business. And so, as and then that is where you 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 get very quiet and you watch not only not only do you listen to their words, but you watch their facial expressions. Yeah. Because you will find out right there how much they believe they can achieve those revenue goals and how quickly. And that's where I would question assumptions. And that's where entrepreneurs, I think, in the beginning, uh, mess up. And, and listen, it's hard to sit there and say. Hey, what do you do? You start in this business. What do you think you're going to do in revenue? People are like, I don't know. <laughs> it's like, right. okay, well, let's talk about that, right? Right. Because you have, you get the money loaned to you. You start it. You name, you do your company. You get your logo, all that easy shit that you get all sexed up by in the beginning. But then somebody has to pick up the phone and call somebody and have a conversation and say, "I'm Bob Gallo. I'm with Optimal Textiles. This is our value proposition." You want to buy something today because I got to yeah. sell a lot of shit before I make any money. Right. So that's yeah. what it was down to. You know, one of the biggest things I see is that there is a gap between the passion or the vision and the execution. And, I, and I'll give the audience and, and comma a great example, but we'll leave their names out. Bob and I work together on a, on a project, an entrepreneur wanted to start this business that, you know what, I, th I think the model would have probably been fairly successful. It was in the, the tech industry um, partially. And what was so interesting to me is that you're the advisor, we're going to be the investor. And you and I had more conversations about the numbers and the sales and the expenses and the people and the vision, blah, 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 than the entrepreneur did. I got to the point where I actually asked her, I said, who wrote your business plan? And she rattled off some consulting company. I'm like, how, how can you have somebody else writing your business plan? And what we see a lot, and, and one of the things that I like to remind uh, people is that 99% of deals fail because of the strength of the leadership, not because of the performers, which everybody's guessing anyways or the product or service. We're already past the product and service and understanding what it is and what you're trying to do. We're trying to understand how you're gonna execute on your passion. Having passion to go be a successful business owner is great. Having a passion to actually go and start building that success. To Bob's point, picking up the phone saying, yeah, hi, um, I'm starting my company. You don't know me, you don't know my business. My you know, website still has wet paint on it you want to buy something that that takes balls and confidence and passion, but a deeper level of passion. I and mean, I don't know what you think, Bob, but I see that all the time where the, we talk about the top of the iceberg all the time. The Titanic was sunk by what is underneath the water, not what you see at the top. And I talk to entrepreneur after entrepreneur, they're like, we're going to crush it and we're going to kick ass. Where'd you get your numbers from? Oh, well, you know, this analyst we hired did it. I'm like, you don't even know where your sales and revenue numbers are coming from. How do you think you're going to execute on a business plan that, you know, you may or may not even have written. And I think Bob, that went on for what, six months. I mean, that spreadsheet was 
you talk to the entrepreneur and they're like, oh, I got to get Bob on the phone. I got to ask Bob. I'm like, is Bob running the company? Because you should be. I mean, let's be, you know, honest. So it's funny because, yeah, it goes, it goes back to what were you like as an entrepreneur when you started, right? So you, you tend to forget the things you went through in the beginning, <clears throat> the more successful when you build your company. And, you know, as you get to those later stages when you're making, you know, you're grossly underpaid in the beginning for the hope of being grossly overpaid later, right? And when you're being grossly overpaid, it's just because come all of the hard work that you did. Right. And you, but you also forget, you know, I think God works in mysterious ways. He gives you, it can, you know, planned amnesia so you can forget the pains of the past as they felt, right? So you'll keep moving forward and you won't be scarred so bad, right? And that's how I look at it as far as an entrepreneur. But when I, when I, so- That means you be pregnant, I guess. Right. Yeah, that's right. That's a good example. <laughs> but when I started financial consulting, it was straight commission. And, you know, I, I'm a financial consultant. Well, you know, you, financial consulting, you sell insurance and investments. It's what you do. Now, we charged fees, but I didn't realize I was going to be selling insurance until like the third interview. Right? So I'm like, I'm like, right. I'm like, what the hell? Yeah. So, <clears throat> but I loved it. And they, 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 you know, they uh, get you on the phone. And my manager was like, 55 dials an hour, you're gonna to talk to 15 people, you're gonna set three appointments. Your goal is X number of appointments every week. And I'm cold calling entrepreneurs, I'm 21 years old, and I'm trying to talk to guys who are worth multi-millions of dollars. And I'm, but those that conditioning was fantastic. And the insurance industry- Huge. Is amazing yeah. for, for personal growth and like I, I I love that industry and I am grateful for my experience. But then I got to a point about halfway through I started to do seminars. So now I'm successful. I'm I'm wearing fifteen hundred dollar suits and the cufflinks and the guys are shining my shoes and I'm like I'm realizing that I'm getting up I'm speaking before people we're getting clients they're coming into our offices I'm not visiting anybody it was great for like five or six years but I always felt I was on the wrong side of the desk and I'm like. So I discovered my shredding business. It was a franchise. And I, we, my partner in that, who was a financial consultant for a different firm, we were flying up to the, for the opportunity. And we, um, you know, we went up there all well-dressed and, you know, we are Rolex and we're like, we'll go talk to these guys. And so we go up there and I loved the business, loved it, fell in love with the thing. I'm like, after the first meeting, I'm like, I have my checkbook out and I put the deposit down. You know, I'm like, I'm doing this. And so... We did it we, and we started to go. And then fast forward, you know, I have to, I'm trying to ramp down my, my, I had my partner in my financial planning, but I was like kind of transitioning stuff and all that. And then I'm back on the phone in my house, making exactly. cold calls, making trying calls. To sell a, a shredding business, you know, services. And, and, and I'm like, holy shit, this is fucking hard. Right. And yeah. so yeah. what my partner said to me at that point, it's like, we learned a lesson, right? Is that, you forget what you what you knew he's like he goes and he goes look here's the bottom line and i was uh, just engaged at that time but he already had three children and he's about to leave a high-paying career for us to start this thing out nobody even knew what the hell on-site shredding was he goes to me he goes look we don't have our suits of armor on anymore we took them off years ago we need to put them back on and we need to fucking grind this out and i'm like all right so fast forward about, we, we, we got, we became, we did great. We built a big business. 
then about halfway in, we, we got a building, a big building. We started to bail our own. I had 20 some trucks. It's 65 people. It was, we were doing great and our margins were great. So when we got the new building, I went and bought a six foot armor, a guy in armor. And I, and I put it in the sales room and I'm like, and I, and I told them the story and I, and I go, anytime you start to question yourself, you think about that. We were in your seat and we're here to support you, but look at that armor guy, you know? So I think that's what, you know, I love it. Today, they forget, you know, you got to grind it out. It just doesn't matter. You have to grind it out and it will get, you will be successful. If you just keep grinding, you can't quit. Can you talk a little bit about, I agree with you. I think that, that, that life has a way of stripping away the pain of certain events, but you still retain the memory of it because it's a learning experience. So you grow from it, something, a breakup, a divorce, whatever was really painful when you went through it, but you learn from it. A failure as a company is sucks when you're in it, you lost everything, but, but you might not know it at the time, but you've learned from it. So the next time it, it begins to look that way, feel that way, blah, blah, blah. You, you are in hopefully in a better position. Talk about a little bit about, your childhood and how do you believe that it forms? I mean, certainly to some degree forms you to an adult, but, but also I believe that that is kind of pre-wired inside of you. I mean, you know, we've had guests on that have talked about the very successful entrepreneurs and they've had a horrible childhood and you can't help but sit there and, blame or hold accountable that childhood for that success that that entrepreneur went through. In other words, I would argue that that entrepreneur, not solely, but partly became as successful as they were because of the experiences in life, good or bad, that they went through. Do you think that that shapes you or has shaped you or how has it shaped you? I think it, that's true of everything, right? I think our, all of our, our experiences shape us as entrepreneurs, as husbands, as fathers, as brothers, sisters, all of it. So I, I, I think that, I mean, and I think, you know, if you go to a psychologist and they lay on a couch and they start to go back in time and like, you know, <clears throat> you remember what you forgot or what have you. But, you know, I, I do remember like, so, so my dad passed away when I was 13 and he was a salesman and he was, he was successful and we had a, you know, a nice, big house and big yard and everybody came to our house and he was like, you know, it was, it was great. And, and, you know, we had we'd go on vacations. It was just a, whatever I had to lifestyle I knew. When he passed away, everything changed because the finances, you know, I guess he didn't have big enough insurance policy or whatever. And um, so everything changed. And so it became a struggle for my mother and with three kids. Uh, I was the oldest to, uh, to kind of make ends meet. And, and I remember she said to me once, she said, because I had a bunch of friends, I was just, I just gotten into high school, on, you know, on the wrestling team and good, good group of friends, all new friends and stuff. So she was like, well, you can't hang out with these kids because we don't have the money that you need. And it was just like, you know, not a lot of stuff to go have pizza and do this or that. But I didn't understand at that point, the magnitude of the financial struggles she was having. And I said right. to myself, I'm never going to be in this spot again in my life that I have to be controlled 
my financial limitations, right? Little did I know I would have great financial success and I would then be in a situation where I was controlled by limits of financial situations again too. <laughs> but I do remember right. that moment and I go back to it, unfortunately I have to go back to it more than once to, to reignite my enthusiasm, but uh, I do argue that that, it, it, that failure helped you to get through, even as a child, get through the next time it happens. You're just, you're just better prepared for it. I think so, too. I agree with what you said before. Uh, you know, it, it has an impact on us. And if it didn't, there'd be something wrong with us, you know? Or just kind of more of a statement was like, it's, it's amazing to kind of hear your story, but it's, it's, it's cycles, but it's the same cycles in different parts of your life. You know, so it's like you're, you're evolving and you're learning, you're evolving, you're learning, you're evolving, you're learning. So, you know, my takeaway is that, you know, what you're, you're just getting stronger and more prepared for the next one. Cause you know, you got to get through it right as an entrepreneur. Um, you know, so it's just, it's just really amazing to hear your story in, in those cycles. And I think, cause some people could just feel like, am I just really bad at this? And I keep falling into this trap, you know, right. or the situation. Um, but it really comes down to how do you handle it? I think so too. I do. And I've not helped myself where I've gone from multiple different industries. And so, you know, right. when you go ahead and you shift to another business, there's a whole new industry to learn. And I've done that out of opportunity out of, you know, I, I feel like I have entrepreneurial ADD and uh, you know, that causes me to shift uh, yeah. a little bit, but the opportunities have been good. And, and, and uh, but it's made me a whole lot more diverse uh, in terms of uh, entrepreneurial experience entrepreneurial experience and that gives me a lot of confidence and you know sean and i have looked and talked about multiple different deals across multiple different industries because that's his world and uh you know i'm pretty comfortable switching gears because you know the majority a large percentage of each business is exactly the same it's it's really about okay what do you sell and how do you get assets and seats and how do you calculate your numbers right and that's what's different you know i have to tell you from a personal perspective you're one of the, you know, we all have networks and we all rely on it, but you're one of my top three go-to guys when I'm like, you know what? I'm either just drinking too much of this Kool-Aid or something's not right. I got to call Bob and Bob's always been a, you know, a straight shooter, not just, not just because, but to be one, but because he's going to tell you it's a good idea or not. I, I think I gave him a project a couple months ago. He's like, yeah, the revenue is just not, it's just not sexy. And here I was sitting there going, wow, this is a really good opportunity. And I'm like, yeah, you know what? So it's good, you know, to get rely, not just on my experience, but on friends and partners that I rely on to give me their experience as well. And I, you know, it does sound corny, but I say it a lot. It's a gift. I mean, I'm getting something from Bob that I didn't have myself and I'm able to be a better person or a better businessman or a better entrepreneur or whatever the case may be. And, and, uh, and I really appreciate that because, you know, when I get, when I, I cause this will come as a surprise, but I can get a little bit of the crazy every now and then. And I'm like, I gotta, I gotta call Bob and see, <laughs> <laughs> I gotta see if this is, and he'll be like, yeah, no, I wouldn't, I wouldn't do that, but I'll bill you for a spreadsheet that I can put together to prove it to you. Like, no, it's all right. I'll take your word for it. <laughs> <laughs> you just stick your head up a bull's ass. That's, that's right, man. Word for it. That's right. <laughs> so I have a, um, uh, one of my favorite shows was called Inside the Actor's Studio, and it was hosted by this guy, James Lipton, and he paid homage to 
um, Bernard Pivot, who's a French um, columnist for a long time. And, and Bernard Pivot created this 10 question kind of questionnaire that we like to wrap up every episode with. It's kind of one of those one word quick fire. Although I keep saying it's one word, Com, not one guest we have had has answered the question. You know, what's your favorite color? Oh, that's a great question. I really don't know. I'll try, I'll try to do one word. If anybody can do it, let's put pressure on you, Bob. Don't overthink it, don't overthink it, Bob. Right, exactly. There's no, there's no filter, too authentic. We're not gonna judge. Let us know, the true you. Game and fire. Yeah. <laughs> All right, what is your favorite word? See what I mean? We're, we're already question one. That My is uncomfortable. <laughs> Yeah. That, now he's delaying by asking. This is like a question, question, right? So now we're evaluating him because he can't answer a question. I passed. Come back to that one. Oh, God. He's, I can't no. believe he passed. He's, he's failing already. <laughs> oh, I'm dead. I'm already dead. You just went to the top five of my go-to list, not my top three. So, so I was already upset you had two other guys ahead of me. So. <laughs> <laughs> what is, in the same spirit, what is your least favorite word? Want me to put that to the end too? Yeah. I hope the questions get better. Sadly, I don't you think. You have to, to skip that one too, Bob. I think you just flipped me off. Yeah. Sadly. You'd be great on a game show. This one you got to get. What turns you on? Making money. Oh, look at that. What turns you off? <laughs> Losing money. <laughs> What sound do you hate? Screeching chalkboard sound. That's a good one. What sound do you love? Sound of my kids' voices. This one you should get it pretty quickly. What is your favorite curse word? Fuck. <laughs> what profession other than yours would you like to attempt? What profession? Oh, screenwriter. Really? Oh, that's yeah. pretty cool. What profession would you not want to try? Accountant. Oh, that's another good one. Well, I typically, this is the point, Com, where I say, this is the last question, but it would appear we have to go, okay, back. go back to the so, beginning again. Now he's warmed the up. Next, the next <laughs> question. I don't know if I'll be able to answer those other ones, but go ahead. <laughs> you can make this eight questions. The next question would be, if heaven exists, what would you like God say when you arrive at the pearly gates? Welcome. <laughs> and I'm not joking. <laughs> <laughs> it's amazing that you can answer that, but not know what your favorite word is, but you can stand in the pearly gates in front of God and say, this is what I want to say. Well, there's so many, you put me in a situation. You, the other two, you've asked me about every word in the, in the, in the, in the English language. Pick one. <laughs> well, I mean, I, I have a top three. Moist is one. Slacks is a second one. I mean, those are two I can rattle off my head. Those, those terrible words. Damp. I don't know, I don't know how you do it, Sean. <laughs> I don't know how you think those are good. They're not good. There's a least favorite. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's great. I'll try to have fun as much as you can here, Bob. Uh, <laughs> So, uh, last, you know, last comments from you, we, we want to know, you know, what are you, work, what are you working on? What are you up to right now? Let, let us know that. And how can someone reach you, if, you know, if, if they want to get connected with you? 
Yeah, so we have two companies that we're running, and uh, we're really, really excited about them. So um, my uh, my partner, who I've known for 20-some years, is an expert in textiles, um, uh, coated and woven fabric. He's been doing it, uh, manufacturing all over the world, and um, lost his job. He was building a company, and the owner passed away, and then all of a sudden, he was out. So we got together looked at it, took all the best aspects of the business and launched it a year and a half ago. And really, really excited about it. We got a great value proposition to sell direct to the owner groups in the hospitality industry. We also have a, uh, a healthcare fabric that we, when, 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 when uh, COVID came, obviously it was not kind to the hospitality industry. So we had a, an unplanned event that uh, it, while the company is really launching, uh, that we had to regroup and, and deal with. So we pivoted into healthcare fabric, which we got something we're developing and sort of big healthcare manufacturer right now. And they're, they're loving it. And we're, we're really excited about that. So that's the textile world. And then we created another company that's a rep company, which basically we said, we want to be able to go into the hospitality, into a hotel and provide them with everything inside the guest room, specifically furniture, case goods, the fabric that goes on it. And then there are common areas, which are usually an afterthought or something that's a little bit less uh, popular for them to do. We, 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 have, we have a relationship with a really great millwork manufacturer. So we were able to come in and do all those things. And what that's allowed us to do in pivoting with uh, COVID is now we can take that millwork offering and go to not just hospitality, but to multifamily uh, churches, um, uh, country clubs, other areas that are actually still renovating and doing that kind of work. So that's my 60 second dissertation of what we're doing. And, uh, and we're really excited about it. That's yeah, cool businesses. It's really cool. What you guys are doing. It is <laughs> obviously you don't stop. You know, you just keep the momentum is amazing to, to kind of hear, you know, the project you're working on. So best of luck with everything, Bob. Thank you so much for your time. Oh, and I guess, how can someone uh, reach out to you or, or, you know, how can they follow you? Yeah, probably the best is uh, R2, the, the letter R, the number two, hospitality.com. And they'll find me on there. Okay, awesome. Well, we appreciate your time, your insight. This is really fun for all of us. Yeah, man, this was great. And I appreciate it. Kyle, uh, it was good to meet you. Sean, as always, it's great to talk to you and, and see you, man. All right, gentlemen. Yeah. All right, my man. Yeah, keep crushing it. All right. You See guys you guys later. Later. Yes. Bye. So this is not so much just for our listeners. It's with our listeners. We're doing this with them, not just for them. We're all together in this big, massive, disconnected group called entrepreneurs. Find us on Facebook and LinkedIn at The Vulnerable Entrepreneurs. Twitter and Instagram at the VE Podcast, the VE Vulnerable Entrepreneur Podcast. And join the conversation by visiting us on our website, thevepodcast.com, and email us at hello at thevepodcast.com. Thanks, everybody, for joining us today. That wraps it up. We understand that every minute of your day is valuable, and we appreciate you spending time with us today.